Welcome to the Bridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message from our senior pastor, Neil Haney. To access other resources or to find out more information about our church, visit thebridgespringfield.com or find us on social media at The Bridge Springfield. We're starting a new series this morning called Living in His Body. And uh, the, 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 the church is the body of Christ. And we're going to be talking about that. And I want to say right out of the gate, that what we're going to be focusing on, Dennis and me, for these next several weeks is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. You know, if, a, if, the, if the body isn't fully functional, it's, there's paralysis, right? If, if, if a person's body isn't fully functional, there's paralysis. There's organs that aren't working, and, and that creates unhealth. It creates uh, dysfunction. It creates limited function. And so we don't want to see this body this local church body, because every church is a body as a part of the bigger body. But, but we don't want to see any paralysis or, or malfunctioning or non-functioning organs in this body. And God is doing something powerful in and through this church. I think you can sense that. You can feel it when you walk in this place now. And, um, and so you want to be a part of what God's, God's doing and we're going to be talking about how to connect, how to commit, how to, how to plug in and serve uh, in the body and outside the body. You know, we, we need to take what's happening here out to the streets, out to the community, out to the world. Uh, but, but we really want to be functioning in, in full stride as a body. And so we're going to be talking about that this, that this morning. So the series is called Living in His Body. It's right here on the screen. And... Uh, I'm going to dive in, but I want to pray for you. Dennis prayed for me. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to be praying the prayer that Paul prayed for one of his precious churches. I want to be praying that prayer for you right now. It's the, it's the prayer he prayed for the Colossians. And so I want to pray that for you right now. So, Lord, fill us with the knowledge of your will. With the knowledge of your will. It's your will, Lord, that counts. That's, that's, that's what we want to, to be about the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we might walk, each one of us and us corporately, that we might walk in a manner worthy of you to please you in all respects, bearing fruit in everything that we do and say, increasing in our knowledge of you, our knowledge of your nature, your character, your gospel, your grace, your, your, your fatherhood, your... <laughs> You're being our, our Savior, Messiah. We can grow in the knowledge of you, strengthened with your power, <laughs> the, the power that came at Pentecost, the power that filled the church, the power that, that, that filled your body to be the body of Christ. Strengthened with your power according to your glorious might. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. When you, I'm going to ask a rhetorical question, which by nature means that you don't answer me back, okay? I just want you to think about this. Okay, so let me ask this question. When you think about the word church, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when you think about the word church? And just, just ponder that for a moment. You know, I, I, um, my mom took me to a very religious organization for the first 12 years of my life, and then my dad got saved, 
and we started going to some really good churches. And I've almost always been connected with a good church from seventh grade on. At the same time, uh, my view of the church has not been the best sometimes. And so I was reading the other day, and I read this statement, and I was like, what? You know, seriously? I read the statement, the church is the most powerful force on the earth. The church is the most powerful force on the face of the earth. And I'm like, really? I was like, isn't the Holy Spirit the most powerful force on the face of the earth? You know, I mean, the Spirit is, is the one who empowers God's work on the earth. And, and without the Spirit, you know, nothing happens. And I was like, I, I'm not sure I agree with that statement. And then I was thinking, you know, I've read a lot of books on prayer. And I've been involved in, in our corporate prayer ministry. And I've seen through the years in my own life and the life of this church and, and other, other uh, you know, places where people have gathered to pray and we've seen answers. You know, I've, I've read by great theologians that prayer is the most powerful force on the earth. But the church? So when I think of the church on, on the earth, I don't always see it in the best light. You know? In fact, much of the time I've seen the church as, you know, as weak as disappointing, stagnant, at times powerless, anemic, not really looking the way that it looked when the Holy Spirit came on the church and birthed it at Pentecost. And what happened in the book of Acts following that initial outpouring of the Spirit on the church in that upper room with the apostles and and those that were with them, when they poured out into the streets of Jerusalem, began to preach the gospel, saw thousands of people come to Christ in one day. And it says, and I think it's chapter 3, God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Oh, to God that it would be said of us at some point. That God would add to our number daily those who are transferring from other churches. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not what I want. Anybody that knows me very well knows that I don't want transfer growth. I want conversion. I want to see people coming to Christ through this body and to this body. If you're honest with yourself, when I say the word church, what comes to mind? And I said, that's a rhetorical question. I don't want you shouting at me from your seat. But let me attempt to read your minds, and as unsanitary as it may sound, to put words in your mouth. Okay. Have you thought about the church? When you think about the church, do, do some of these things come to, to mind? Like a, a, sn a snooty religious country club where outsiders aren't really welcome. How about a political activist? You know, let's go, let's go develop a strategy and then ask God to bless it and go out and fight the culture and try to, try to do something about all this bad stuff that's happening. Or how about a, a waiting room where people just kind of sit and pray and just do nothing and they just wait on God to change everything and just, you know. I mean, there's one extreme and the other, right? You can, you can be out there, you know, beating a drum and protesting and doing whatever. Or you can sit on your thumb and just pray and ask God to, to do what, you know, he's asked us to do through his spirit. 
Or how about a place where religious junkies gather to get their feel-good fix on so they can survive another week out in that mean, cruel old world out there? You know. Or how about a collection of sanctimonious killjoys who want to legislate morality for all those bad sinners out there in the world? Does some of that sound right? I mean, when angry atheists and and disillusioned agnostics throw stones at the church, would you agree that to some extent we've earned some of that? By the way, we've either functioned or not functioned. And so this morning, I want to tell you that I have a very high view of the church. And I'm telling you, when I found this church in 1987, I know that was before most of you were born, But when I came here in September of 1987, I walked through the doors of this church. Uh, It was actually the the doors on the front of the church at the time. Now we come in the sides here. Um, But I I walked in, and I felt like I had found my home. And I've been here ever since. I I was Clark County Jail Chaplain. Excuse me. The old frog is back. (laughs) Hold on. I'm going to try to drown him. I get a frog every Sunday when I preach. So... I walked through those doors, uh, Milton and Jane Dibert, who most of you don't know, but they hugged me. It was an older couple, and it felt like Grandma and Grandpa welcoming me home, and I just felt so at home. And then I discovered that this was a charismatic fellowship. It was a, a, a body of believers that actually practiced the gifts of the Spirit, and I was absolutely thrilled. I had looked my entire adult life for a church that practiced the gifts, and I found it, or it found me. Uh, the senior pastor of the church found me at the jail and invited me to lunch and then invited me to speak here and drew me in. And uh, I just have been here ever since because I love this church. But I believe that the reason that so many churches have, have become caricatures of what God intended for the church to be is because we've lost sight of the true gospel of grace. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that we've lost our power, our focus, our ability to, to, to function in a healthy, uh, godly, powerful way is because we've lost sight of the gospel of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've not been fixing our eyes on Jesus and all that he's done for us and all that he wants to do with us and to us and in us and through us. And if we lose sight of, of Jesus and the gospel, then, then we're going to we're not going to be functioning very well. We tend to fall off into two, two sides of, of, of this road that we're supposed to be on uh, as Christians, as, as believers, as churches, as effective churches. And, and one side of the road is, okay, well, let's get out there and do something. Let's don't just sit there. Let's, let's do something. So let's run out and, like I said, let's develop strategies and, and let's, let's go, go out and, and, and you know, ask God to bless our strategies and go do something for God. Let's just go do something, and let's perform well so that we'll hear at the end of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant. And, of course, you and I both want to hear that. But it's not by how hard we work and how well we perform that we're going to hear that. Because the gospel of grace sets us free to stop focusing on ourselves and how good or bad we're doing and to actually fix our eyes on Jesus and let him lead us into the into the 
places and into the lives of people that he wants to touch and reach through his church. And if we understand the gospel and we understand God's unconditional love and we understand what Christ has done for us and that he wants to be our life, we have something to tell people that are out there dying in their loneliness and in their worthlessness and in their depression and in, in, in their feeling of, of, of you know, emptiness. We say, hey, I've been filled with the love of God. He's, he's died, he died for me and he died for you. He's filled me and he wants to fill you. He has plans and purposes for me and he has plans and purposes for you. Does that make sense? So we either get busy and do stuff and perform well, or we just kind of give up and resign and just sit back and focus on our empty religious traditions and rituals that we go through, and we go to church, and we do church, and we go home, and we just live our lives, and we forget about, you know, that mean old nasty world out there that, you know, that's going to hell. God doesn't want us to function that way, guys. And so I'm telling you right up front that we want, Dennis and I want to share with you our hearts about what it means when the gospel begins to move through us and out from us. And, and, and we become real participants in the body of Christ. Real participants in the body of Christ, when we, when we have this commitment to the, the body, when we have connection with the body, and when we decide to give ourselves to service into body, to the body, through, for the body, the church is the body of Christ. And I want to make a statement right now that may be the most important thing I say today. When the church functions in the way God intended for her to function, from Pentecost on, the church is the most powerful force on the face of the earth. And I'll explain why. A spirit without a body is a ghost. A body without a spirit is a corpse. When Jesus ascended to the Father after the resurrection, he promised his disciples he would send his Holy Spirit. But he didn't just send the Spirit to float around and do stuff to hover over you know, the masses of the people like he hovered over the, you know, the, the, the formless void world when, you know, at creation. No, when the Spirit came, he came on the body. He came on a, a gathered group of believers just like this. And he filled them with wind and fire and power. And then they went out into the streets and they began to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thousands of people came to Christ. And the church saw signs and wonders and miracles. And they gathered together in small groups and large groups. And they did all kinds of miraculous things. People were healed. Thousands of people came to Christ. Like I said, people were added you know, uh, to, to the kingdom. To the, you know, they saw salvations every day. And so the Spirit didn't just hover around the earth. He came into the body, into people's hearts. And collectively, they became the body of Christ. And Christ is the head of the body. There's, um, there are probably a dozen places in the New Testament where the church is called the body of Christ. That has to mean something. It's not just a, a nice little metaphor 
We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his eyes. We are his heart. We are the extension of everything he is. He's the head and we're the body. In the way that the Spirit filled Christ at his baptism and then was sent out into ministry to do the Father's will by the power of the Spirit, led by the Spirit at every point, living just like we're supposed to. When the Spirit came on the church, then we are filled with the Spirit and we're to go out and we're to, we're to live out the will of God through, through the Spirit. We're, we're to live out Christ's life through his Spirit as the body. When we touch people, Jesus touches people. When we speak to people, Jesus speaks to people. Someone also has said, the church is the greatest army ever to be assembled that has never been deployed. Now, when I read that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. It might sound right based on a, a snapshot in history. There have been times when the church has not been very pretty. Uh, I, I don't think the Crusades is what God had in mind for his army. <laughs> I don't think killing people in the name of Jesus is the, is the right way to function. But if you look at church history, the world has been changed. Nations have been changed over and over again through the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit working through his body, the body of Christ, to change, to change cultures, to change nations, to change governments, to change peoples. Did you know that the, the very first mention of the church is in Matthew 16, 18? And the church is only mentioned in the Gospels, the four Gospels, twice. It's mentioned in, in, in the scripture in, in, uh, in Matthew 16, 18, and it's also mentioned two chapters later when it talks about, it's a very kind of a passing thing about, you know, when someone refuses to repent, bring them before the church. But that's the only two places in the gospel the church is even mentioned. But the first place here in, in Matthew 16, I want to I read the context of that so that you can see, you know, exactly what's happening when Jesus begins to talk about his body, talk about the church. So Jesus is, is on his way. Um, well, l- let me say this. When this event happens where Jesus talks to his disciples, and I'm going to read it word for word, but he asks them, who do people say that I am? When this event happens, he and his disciples have traveled to the northern extreme part of Israel. In fact, they're right on the edge of where pagan gods are worshipped. And I will tell you this, I, I started not to, a little trivia, but there was a cave that, was, that went down and, and it was reputed to be the very gate of, of Hades. And so he's probably standing somewhere fairly close to that cave when he makes this statement. Because he's, what's about to happen is he's about to head south and then go up <laughs> the, the mountain, to Jer- Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, and he's going to be crucified. So he's about to set his face like flint to fulfill his redemption of the human race, to fulfill the purpose for which he came, and that is for sal- our salvation. He's about to take that journey to Jerusalem for his crucifixion. When he has this conversation with his disciples, 
And he says this, or it says this, and I'm going to, we'll leave that up, but I'm going to read the context. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of God, the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, he who had already been beheaded, so he had to somehow miraculously have been raised from the dead. It's weird because John was the one that baptized him, but anyway. Others say Elijah, because Elijah was supposed to come before the great and mighty day of the Lord. Others still say, or, and, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Here's this Jewish carpenter who, according to Isaiah 53, had no form of attraction that, you know, he wasn't very handsome. He probably, a son, a child of Abraham, he probably had a big nose, you know. I know how that is. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, uh, I get teased about that for whatever reason. But, um, You know, he, he wasn't super impressive, apparently, from the outside. And yet, ha- having spent three years with him and through the revelation of the, of the Holy Spirit that came on Peter in that moment, I think Peter was as shocked as anyone else when those words rolled out of his mouth, honestly. I don't think he had been thinking about this a lot, and all of a sudden he's like, you know what, I just have decided that this is the Messiah, the Son of No, I think in that moment there was a flash of revelation and, and Peter just blurted it out, as he always did. He always tended to be blurting stuff out. Usually what he blurted out was not very good. In this case, it happened to be right. He got one right, you know. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it or overcome it, it says here in the NIV. I like prevail against it. I like that. You see, what the Father had shown Peter was a revelation of this unshakable foundation of the church. The Messiah, the cornerstone was here. The foundation stone was in, in the midst of the disciples. And, and, and Peter suddenly, through a flash of revelation, inspiration, recognized, you are the foundation of the church. And Jesus said, and, and you, Peter, what you said, you are, you know, because God comes on men and moves on men to, to build his church. You're the rock, but this, this foundational truth of who I am is also the rock upon which the church will be built. And the gates of hell, ultimately the church will prevail against evil. We win, guys. You understand that, right? I'm going to go off script here, and I always get in trouble when I do that, but (laughs) I feel led by the Spirit to do this. I am convinced that we, do you realize, I read an article recently that according to this article, and it gave a lot of evidence a lot of study had been done about this uh, through some very knowledgeable theologians and, and historians that in the year 2033, it will have been 
2,000 years since, since the, uh, the coming of Christ. Uh, it's, it's since his death and burial and resurrection. So the year 20, so, so in other words, we keep talking about Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. In the year 2033, hello. Yeah, I, I don't know what I upset over there, but I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, it will, you know, according to these scholars, in 10 years it will be exactly 2,000 years since the coming of Christ. I believe we're living in the last days before the return of Christ. And so I think that's really important. I think that's really significant. And, and I believe that Christ is not returning for, for brides. He's not a Mormon. He's not coming back for, for brides. He's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And I believe that he is in the process, even now, of purifying, unifying, and glorifying his bride, his church. Read Isaiah. Just jot this down somewhere. I'm not going to quote it or read it right now. Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 5, I believe that's about the church in this current age, in this current day. That his light is dawning on the church in a way that hasn't ever happened in history. And I believe we're going to see one of the greatest revivals in history, happen, or probably the greatest revival in history happen in the next few years. I don't believe that, that uh, well, I believe that heaven is going to be populated by what God does in the next 10 years, honestly. So, I, okay, I'll get back on script now. <laughs> but we're going to be a part of that, folks. We're going to be a part of that. Jesus said he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We win. We're going to win. It's a powerful force that ultimately prevails against death, hell, and evil. So what is the power of the church? You know, the Christian life, the Christian walk, everything about the kingdom of God and, and about Christianity and following Christ is kind of a paradox because, because you, know, you know, Paul says in... in uh, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 12 or 2 Corinthians 12. That I think it's 2 Corinthians 12. He's talking about how weak he felt and how, how he just, there were times that you know, he had prayed for this, whatever this thorn in the flesh, pain in the neck that he was experiencing was, that, um, that he was just complaining to the Lord and asking him to take this away. And the Lord said, no, in, my, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. In the ugliness, in the seeming futility of the crucified Messiah, the one who is to be the, the, you know, the, the reign on the throne of David, is instead hung on a cross with thieves to die as a common criminal. And that terrible, horrible execution event became the turning point of human history. It's, yeah, someone's agreeing with me by, you know, text message or whatever. Um, but, but you see, weakness translates into power in the kingdom. And so, you know, when, when, when Peter looks at this Jewish carpenter and says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And, and the next thing out of Jesus' mouth is, besides, you're right, Peter. And on, 
on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm going to, the, I'm going to Jerusalem now and they're gonna, the, the Jews are going to hand me over to the Romans and the Romans are going to put me on a cross and I'm going to die on a cross. And Peter's like, I just told you who you were. What are you talking about? You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. What you're saying doesn't make sense. That's not what we learned in Sunday school. You're not making sense, Jesus. And, of course, Jesus rebukes him and says, you're thinking like a man, not like God. The church needs to think like God. We need to, you know, so there's this thing that Dennis talked to me about called the scandal of particularity. It's, It's that you can become familiar with something and you can see the outside of it and you think you know it. And so when the Pharisees looked at this carpenter from Nazareth, which was not even really a, a certified Jewish city, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was considered part of the Gentile world because it was so far away from Jerusalem and kind of on the outskirts of everything. And no one really from Galilee was very respected because they were kind of... you know, kind of too close to the Gentiles. And so here's Jesus from Nazareth, and he's an itinerant. He wasn't trained, seminary trained in Jerusalem by the rabbis. He's an itinerant preacher, and he's not even 40 years old. You got no respect until you were 40 by the Jewish leaders. And here's a 30-year-old starting his ministry. They don't respect who he is, where he's from, his education, which he didn't have, according to the Jewish scholars and scribes and Pharisees and all that. And so they, they, they just, every time they encountered him, they just saw this ridiculous uh, upstart fake to them. But what Peter saw was not the outside of this man. They didn't see his, he, Peter didn't see his age. They didn't, he didn't see his education. He didn't see any. He looked through all of that and saw the Messiah, the Son of God, God in human flesh. And so when we look at the church, we need to be very careful that we're not just looking at the externals because there's something in us that makes us different, that makes us powerful, that makes us God's bride, God's body, Jesus' body. And, and every local church can look very weak. And, and, and if you... <laughs> You know, thinking about changing the world, Jesus says, in, in, uh, as he's you know, preparing us for what's coming, he talks about the church and he says this. He says, to those who would be his followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You don't look very good. <laughs> You don't look like much. Those fishermen probably didn't look very good, and they probably didn't smell very good. But God said, you drop your nets and come with me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You'll change the world. So would you put up the scripture in in Matthew 5, please? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I'm not going to worry about the salt losing its saltiness and all that. Uh, I just want to... I want to talk about what he, the positive thing he said. And when we think of salt in our culture, we think of, of, uh, of flavoring. I made a meal for my family the other night. We went to Weston Lilies and had dinner, and Devin and Lindsay were with me. And 
I didn't really add a lot of salt to the recipe where it didn't say to, so I just didn't do it. And the rice was completely not salted. It tasted horrible. And even the meat, so we're just salting away. You know, I was like, ah. But but salt, we look at salt as flavoring. In that day, salt was used like refrigeration. There was no refrigeration, so your meat had to be salted. You had to thoroughly salt it to preserve it from, from spoiling. I've, I've been in foreign countries where that's what they had to do. I was in El Salvador when I, was, uh, when I first came to the church. I went down to El Salvador. We had a missionary down there. And uh, they had meat hanging on clotheslines with, with like clothespins just hanging in the sun. And you bought the meat, and, and it was basically jerky is what it was. But it was just salt. I mean, you, it was so salty you had to have water to eat it. But, but it's a preservative And Jesus is saying, you are the preservative in this world of corruption where everything is going bad and and, and corrupting. You're the salt. You're the preservative to keep it from spoiling. And the church has had that role down through the centuries. And then he says, the next slide, go ahead and the next slide, you are the light of the world. And he says, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. And read the rest of of that He says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others, before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me just say this. Jesus sees us bigger and better and more beautiful and more wonderful and more functional than we see ourselves sometimes. We are his strategy. We are his his, um, mechanism, if you will, for changing the world. We're the ones that are going to be bring the preservative to the corruption in our culture. We're the ones that are going to be light into this darkness. If you read that Isaiah 61 through 5, that's the main theme. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Darkness is over the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But they will be drawn to the light of your dawning. They will be drawn to the, to the light that I am. Uh, it's rising on you. My glory is rising on you. And people living in darkness, the nations living in darkness, will be drawn to your light. It's interesting that here he says, you are the light of the world. And in John 8, 1, he says, I am the light of the world. You're the light of the world, I'm the light of the world. I can believe that about Jesus. I don't, you don't look so lightly. Actually, you do to me. But Jesus wants to shine his light through you. You see, here's the thing. Jesus came here to reveal who God is to us. And then he, he went back to the Father and he redeemed us all. And then he sent his spirit to live in us so that we could reveal Christ to the world. He came to reveal his Father to the world. And then he sent his spirit into us so that we would reveal Christ to the world. Does that make sense? Guys, we are his bride. We are his... Let's don't... This scandal of particularity. Let's don't look at ourselves as a local church and say, "Ah, you know, we're not much. We really can't do much. Let's don't believe that. Let's believe that God has brought you and I, you and me together so that we can be infused with his spirit continually, so that we can, to, so that we can live out this Christian life in such a way that it, it brings preservative to the corruption and it brings light to the darkness. And as, as 
Grandiose as that may sound, that's exactly what he has for us. And I believe our future is glorious. I really do. I believe our future as a church is glorious. Because uh, one of the things that I want you to hear very clearly in this individualistic society that we live in is that it's great to have Jesus in our hearts and have a personal relationship. And I really nurture that, man. Every morning I'm with the Lord, and I, but I can't live without this. I can't live my Christian life apart from the body of Christ. Just like my thumb can't live apart from the rest of my body, or this eye can't live. If you take something away from the body, then it dies. It shrivels up and dies. Now, that's not a perfect analogy because, I mean, there are Christians that have, been, have had to live by themselves, and they still were a part of the body of Christ. They still you know, were saved and all that, and they still lived fine. But, but we were meant to be with each other. We were meant to be a unit, a body together. And apart from each other, we're not, as, we're not the same. I, I, I watch the sermons. I watch the services online. And, and I loved it. I mean, watching from my home. You know, some, sometimes I went to church and watched later in the afternoon. Sometimes I just went to church here in my big chair in my room where I have my devotions. But it's not the same. It's not the same as being here with you. And when Jesus, Jesus said when two or more gathered in his name, he would be there in the midst. And so, guys, we got to do this together because we can't do it by ourselves. It's not like having a Netflix, you know, uh, <laughs> subscription where we can just enjoy, you know, watching movies by ourselves. I mean, we need each other. We need to be a part of each other. And I want to say as we're going into worship, one of the things that you'll hear from Dennis and me is that in the community, community of the believers, you experience the presence of God. I said that earlier, I'll say it again. I loved being able to watch and listen to the services, but it wasn't the same. I wasn't experiencing the presence of God like I do when I'm here. And so this morning, as a, as a tangible part of, of what I'm saying, as a way to kind of put into practice what I'm saying, worshiping together is a part of body life, of, of being, being part of the body of Christ. And, and when we come together to worship, he comes and, and inhabits our praises. He comes and joins us. Angels come and join us. We have seers in the congregation that see angels. As, as we start worshiping, angels start showing up in, in droves and worshiping with us. And so uh, this morning, let's just, part of, of, of the application of my sermon this morning is let's just worship together. Would you stand, and, and, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll worship. And we're going to have prayer ministry team on either side of the stage. That's another part of body life is people are going to be praying for you if you need prayer. Uh, you can go to, the, to the, the corners of the front here, and people will pray for you. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, first of all, for, for dying for us, for paying our penalty, for paying in full for all our sins and for giving us your incredible grace and your unconditional love and your unending mercy and, and the fact that we don't have to worry about earning anything from you. It's all, you did it all. You bought it all. You, you've paid for it all. You've, you've, you've taken care of everything we need. Every barrier has been removed between us and, and, and you and the Father. And you've given us your spirit. And now we just want to worship you in spirit and in truth. 
And Lord, I pray that as we go through this series, that you will help us see what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, the, the most powerful force on the face of the earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you received a fresh revelation of the gospel of grace and that you experience the goodness of God in your everyday life. For more content like this or to stream our services live, visit thebridgespringfield.com. Have an awesome week.